This past week, I've been thinking about church history and why, I can't tell you, but I've just thought about it and how God in every generation raises up men and women to impact the world. And he has raised you up. Wherever you're at, in your home, in Cameroon, in Germany, in Puerto Rico, I mean, this thing's going to 43 different nations, okay? Wherever you're at, God has raised you up. And he has raised you moms up. And I want to applaud you women who are mothers. I celebrate you today. And I want to applaud you women who are mothers of other people's children. Because that was true in my life. There have been four other women in my life who have greatly influenced me. My wife, who's not my mother, okay, but there's times she's mothered me. (laughs) But she helped me to understand who Christ is and led me into a relationship, a personal one, with him. I think of my mother-in-law, who impacted my life through her optimistic spirit. I think of my, my, uh, my uh, grandmother, Grandma Pfizer, who uh, gave me a great respect for the Word of God. I think of my Grandma Shaw, who gave me my sense of humor. And if you don't like my humor, it's not my fault, it's my grandma's fault. Now, obviously, there's one person in my life who's really impacted my life. My mom. She, and when I was growing up, never missed a sporting event. And now that she is a great-grandmother, I was talking with her about how she's going to need to come down from Kansas City to Dallas to just see her great-grandchildren participate in some sporting events. And my mom looked at me and she informed me, George, I really don't like sporting events. And that took me back. And I thought, well, mom, why did you go to all my sporting events? And she said, it wasn't because I wanted to watch the game. It was because I wanted to be with you. At that moment, I realized the profound influence my mom had on my life that didn't come from reading a book or going to some kind of seminar or listening to some talk show personality. No, her influence came through the power of presence. Children regard presence as being caring. They regard presence as being connected. And so I want to say to you moms, you've got a tough job. It is not easy being there with your kids all of the time. And for some of you, it is especially hard because you don't think you're doing a good job. But what I want you to know is that as your pastor and coach who reads a lot of relational books, that by far the greatest influence on your child's or children's spiritual life is mom first, grandma second, 
And dad is third. You have a tough job. You not only have to be there, so to speak, 24-7, but you have to be there influencing them towards becoming all that God has intended for them to be. You make a difference. Now, I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, okay, George, you started out talking about church history. How in the world does this tie in to church history in this way? In 1945, 74% of Western culture went to church. Today, in Western Europe, it is less than 7%. In America, it's about 30%. What in the world has happened? Well, all historians will say that the church didn't show up. The church missed a generation of working with kids. The church missed a generation of working with marriages. It missed a generation of helping parents pursue their kids spiritually. And so as a result, the church has fallen apart. Today in America... We are just one generation away from from not being here. That is why at LifePoint we have programs for kids. That's why we do baby dedications. That's why we have student programs. That's why we have marriage programs. That's why we do community together. Now, I don't know about you, But I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And in saying that, I am not saying that my home that I was raised in was pagan. It just wasn't active in the Christian faith. We were like Christmas and, and, and Easter people and throw in Mother's Day because mom always wanted to be at church. And because of that, I didn't come to know Christ in a personal way where I dropped him from my head into my heart until my sophomore year. And for Cheryl, my wife, she wasn't raised in a Christian home either. Uh, She came to know Christ through listening to Billy Graham on the radio. And that happened her junior year in high school. We, Cheryl and I, were the first generation of active Christians. Move forward into the future a little bit, we get married. And we think that we're going to have a pretty easy job because, you know what, we are real Christians. But boy, were we wrong. We were two sinners bumping up into one another, producing sinnerlings. And we soon discovered that we weren't baby boomers. We were a transitional generation. And what that means is simply this. The Bible says that the sins of a previous generation are passed on to the third and fourth generation. In our day and age, we call those family origin issues. Ever heard of that word? As we looked at our marriage... We definitely inherited some sins from previous generations. And we thought, you know what? 
if we're going to break the chain of dysfunction, we're going to have to recover so as not to repeat. And if you think about that, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? We're either going to have to recover from previous sins of a generation past, or we're going to repeat the sins in our generation. Now, you fast forward Cheryl and I into the future even more, having three kids in middle school who are exerting their independence, being alpha males. Wonder where they got that from, okay? (laughs) Who are arguing with their mother, who are saying some mean things to their mom, but what they are saying is true. Dad, moi, is in another room overhearing what is going on. And I am thinking, give it to her, give it to her, give it to her. After a while, I know you thought that was really mean, but let's be honest, okay? After a while, it's escalating, so I come into the room and I speak into it. I said, boys, that's enough. Go to your rooms. When I said that, I thought immediately they would realize that they needed to repent. (laughs) That they, you know what, Dad, you were right, we were wrong. What were we ever thinking? But they didn't. They snapped immediately at me, and that's when it became personal. And so I raised my voice a notch. Boys, into your rooms right now. After praying and counting to 10,000, I went upstairs and I called them out of their rooms into the loft. And immediately they started talking. And I says, that's enough. I heard it all in the other room. It's my turn to talk. How you spoke to your mother was wrong. But what you said to her was right. Now, when I said that, you could see their wheels spinning. Finally, someone is agreeing with us. But I went on and I said, boys, your mom is God's woman for me. She has grown tremendously since coming to faith. And I have never met a person who has a bigger heart and a more tender heart for the Lord than her. And I want you to respect her. And I want you to respect her because, or not just because, she goes to your sporting events and doesn't like sports. But I want you to respect her because you don't know where she's come from. And to be honest with you, you don't know where I've come from, what my past has been like. And I want to say something, kids. What happened between you and mom really was my fault. That being said, I want you to know that both of us have have come from deficit situations. And as I sought to explain this concept of a transitional generation, that grandma and grandpa were here and we went from there to hear and how we are in a process of overcoming and how we want them from here to go to there. 
I think they got it. Because they went downstairs and they apologized to mom who went to all their sporting events who didn't like sports. I want to say to some of you that some of you are transitional generation people. That you are transitional generation partner. That you are a transitional generation parent. And you are doing a good job. Today on Mother's Day, you are not going to get beaten up. You are doing a better job than what you think. You are a transitional person, partner, or parent. There's a scripture that I want to share today that is right in line with our Christian faith. And it relates to you as a person, as a partner, or as a parent. It is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is a great text. It starts off with the word, therefore. Anytime you hear the word, therefore, as a teacher, you always ask, wherefore the therefore? In this case, the wherefore of the therefore is in Hebrews chapter 11. It is commonly referred to as the chapter of heroes of faith, just like you and just like me, just like men and just like women in our church, just like mothers and just like fathers in our church, heroes of faith. And you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, hey, I'm no hero of faith. Because, why? Because you think of these heroes of faith as being perfect, or at least practically perfect in every way. But if you understand the people, the men, the women, the singles, the marrieds, the, the moms, the dads that are mentioned in Hebrews 12, you come to the realization, guess what? that they were just like you and, he, you and me, filled full of faults, failures, and fumbles. They, they, there are prostitutes mentioned. There are murderers, adulterers mentioned. There are people who have major character flaws. There's people who are depressed. There are people who can't control their temper. They're all mentioned in Hebrews chapter 12, or, cha, or Hebrews chapter 11. Heroes of faith. And so this passage that I'm going to read, folks, it fits you and it fits me. It fits moms and it fits dads. And it says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such oppositions from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, in this COVID-19 situation, and we really don't know how long this is going to extend, I want you to persevere. It says don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. And honestly, in talking with many of you, through the staff and, and personally through by myself with some of you on the phone. Some of us are getting weary with our family situations. And even on Mother's Day, it's not easy because there's some hurt there. And yet the goal of this passage is about finishing well. It is about making decisions now that will impact the future. I call those decisions playing it forward. I want to ask you this question. The decisions that you're making right now in this situation that we are in, in fact, the world is in, are they helping you or are they hurting you? If they're helping you, that's great. Keep it up. If they're hurting you, what about that? In fact, let me ask that question a little differently. Is life working for you right now? Is your marriage working for you right now? Is it working for you in regards to your kids? And remember, when I ask those questions, it's not about perfection. It is about the pursuit. It's about the pursuit. It's about finishing well. Oftentimes, as we look at the landscape of what goes on, especially in light of social media, we think everybody else is doing great. And I say this to people, stop looking at Facebook. Because the reality is we are all in the same boat. All of us have flops, failures, and fumbles. We all are messed up. And yet here is the crazy thing. Life is supposed to work for us. God gave us life and he wants us to have a full life. And so life is supposed to work for us personally. As our own, in, in our own person, with our partners, and in our parenting. But this book, called the Bible, is not a word-for-word -word manual on parenting. No, it's a manual for life. And part of life is getting married. Part of life is having kids. It is a manual for life. And yet, if you and I can understand the words, and if we can hide them in our hearts and in our minds, we can become more effective as a person, as a partner, or as a parent. Now, what does that take? One word. Focus. It takes focus. 
This past week, I've been thinking about the bucket list that I have had these past 66 years. I know it's unbelievable that I'm that old, but I am, okay? Approaching 67, not too many months from now. But as I was thinking about the things that I have checked off on my bucket list these past 66 years, I thought about the time that I wanted to uh, go uh, drive a NASCAR. And I was able to do that with a friend named Jim Bostick. And we went 170 miles an hour. I'm telling you, that was a rush. Then I think about checking off skydiving. When I jumped out of a perfectly good plane with a parachute on, falling at 120 miles an hour, and to see that earth come at you really fast, folks, that was the thrill of a lifetime. But there's one other thing I want to mention in the way of my bucket list, and that is climbing a 14,000-foot mountain in Colorado. Cheryl and I have been going to Colorado probably for 30 years close to that. And I don't know what it was, but I had it on my bucket list. I want to climb a 14er. And so I decided I'm going to do it. I picked out the mountain. Gray's Peak. It was close to Dillon, Colorado. 14,270 feet. I began training for that event, working out. I began dieting. I lost, I don't know, about 40 pounds. I began reading on, on, on mountain hiking and climbing. And as I was reading about it, I discovered that when you start to climb that mountain, that 14 or you got to make sure that there, that it's not a cloudy day and not because of bad weather, but because if the clouds are covering the peak that you are wanting to summit, you won't be able to see it. You'll get discouraged and you'll quit. This message today is about the foundation of what you and I need in order to keep our eyes on the prize. To keep pursuing the goal that God has for us as a person, as a partner, or as a parent. And the first thing is this. Will you write this down? Stay focused with your family's priorities. Now, in saying that, I think immediately we begin to think of what those are. And the first thing we think of, God first. Our marriage is second. Our our kids and family third. And fourth is our vocation. And guess what? I would say you're right. But oftentimes we get those mixed up. There are a lot of marriages that are child-focused marriages. And what that results in in the relationship of the husband and wife is that their relationship becomes more of a business transaction. There's some parents that make the mistake that the vocation, their vocation is number one. And so they miss it relationally with God, and they miss it relationally with their kids. And so that is why Scripture says that we are to put first things first, that we are to keep our eyes on our priorities. A few years ago, my son 
being a student pastor out in California, I went out to see him. And one morning I was able to kind of get out and go to the beach. While I was there, I saw a seal. And I was just fascinated by it because you don't see seals in Texas, right? At least not here in Dallas. And I'm standing there and I'm watching this seal. And I see this couple off at a distance walking. They're kind of skipping along, going in and out of the the tide, stealing kisses with one another. As they got closer, they stopped close by me to watch the seal as well. And you could see the glimmer or twinkle in their eye. And as they approached a little closer, I just thought, you know, I'm going to ask them what's going on. And I noticed that they had wedding rings. And so I, I said, can I ask you a personal question? And of course, they looked at me like, sure. What is the secret of your marital bliss? And they looked at one another, and they looked at me and said, we're not married. We're soulmates. We met each other about 12 years ago, and four to six times out of the year, we have business meetings where we can get together and reconnect. And when I heard that, I I was a little shocked, to be honest with you, and I said, I am so sorry for prying. I really didn't mean to do that. And as they walked on from that awkward moment, I thought, there are at least two families from two different places who aren't happy right now. They may not know what is going on, but there can't be real intimacy in their families. And honestly, as I walked from that time, I did not think of them as evil people. I just thought, you know what? They're misguided. And in some ways, maybe like ourselves. My guess is each of them started out in their marriages as focused. But what happened is that they neglected the basics of their marriage. And they started focusing on work and and, and buying a house and and making the payment. And then the the kids came along. And then the focus became the kids and and, uh, the kids' events. And, And before long, their relationship with their mate became a business type of relationship just in solving issues. And so there was no intimacy. Vince Lombardi said this. When we stray from the basics, that's when we begin to discover defeat. And so this couple found false intimacy in the arms of another. My point in sharing that story is that I really believe that all of us, wherever we're at, we start off with pure motives. But what happens is that we lose focus. We lose focus on the prize. Oswald Sanders said it like this, beware of anything. Anything means even good stuff. Beware of anything that competes with your loyalty 
to Jesus Christ. Jack Hayford, in some ways, is similar to Billy Graham in Christianity of the 20th century. He has been faithful to God over the years. Today, he is 86 years old. And one time he was asked, what is the secret of your integrity? And he said this, it's not what I have chosen to do. It's what I've chosen not to do. I had to stay focused to make sure I was being faithful to my wife, faithful to my children, and faithful to my calling. Instead of being so distracted, I had too many attractive distractions. So I realized I had to just kind of unpack those and focus. God is calling us to, today to stay focused on our priorities, on keeping our eyes on the prize. Let me ask you this question this morning. Wherever you're at, what will it take for you to sustain your priorities? Your faith, your relationships, your marriage, your family, your job. What will it take to sustain those priorities? My guess is you know what the answer is. But here's the deal. Oftentimes we don't do it. And why is that? Because generally there's pain involved. But if you think about it, there's pain involved either way, isn't there? There's, there's either the pain of discipline up front or there's the pain of regret at the end. There's pain involved either way. You either pay it up front or you pay it in the end. And we're real familiar with the end, aren't we? Especially when it comes to our physical health or our financial health with our money and investments, or our relational health as, as it concerns others. But oftentimes we don't think about that in regards to our spiritual health. Stay focused on your priorities. Keep your eyes on the prize. The second thing that the writer of Hebrews mentions, mentioned is about perseverance. He talks about not growing weary and losing heart. He, he makes mention that Jesus endured the cross and he despised the shame because of the joy set before him. In parenting, it's part joy and it is part Guerrilla warfare, okay? And so we've got to develop the courage to change. And I say this. Will you write this down? You first, and then your kids or others. You see, a lot of times when it comes to changing our relationships, we like to point the finger at someone else, don't we? But we don't realize that when we're doing that, four of those fingers are pointing back at us. And so we have to have the courage to change first. 
And when we change first, what that produces within us is this persevering spirit where we don't grow weary and lose heart. I want you to take a look at this verse out of 1 Timothy 4, 16. Pay attention to yourselves and to your teaching. First, pay attention to yourself and what you say. Make sure your walk matches your talk and your talk matches your walk. Pay attention to yourself and then to others. Care for yourself and then for others. Feed yourself first and then others. I call this self-leadership. You see, the majority of your leadership strength in changing the dynamics in a relationship come first by changing yourself. Self-leadership, feeding yourself first, caring for yourself first, nurturing yourself first. A lot of times we don't think this way because we think to think of ourselves first is being selfish, but it's not. It's for the betterment of that relationship. Solomon said it like this. In Proverbs 4.23, he said, guard your heart above all else. That word heart is the seat of your emotions. It is the seat of your passion. You could say that it is the seat of your priorities, what you value the most, because it will determine the course of your life. Here is what I have learned I wouldn't say 66 years of life, but 45 and a half years of marriage. In fact, I've put it on your outline. Will you circle this? Untended fires soon become nothing more than a pile of ashes. In other words, if I don't tend to my fire in my heart, if I don't tend to the passions in my soul, I will make a lousy person. And being a lousy person will make me a lousy husband to Cheryl, and a lousy father to my kids, and a lousy granddad to my grandkids, and a lousy pastor for you. And so the way to have courage to change your relationship is to have the courage to change yourself first. If you study the ministry of Jesus, you will find that he oftentimes pulled himself away from the multitudes, even from his disciples, and he got alone to nurture his own soul in his relationship with the Father. And then he would come back and be with his disciples, and he would replenish that relationship, and then together they would go out and they would impact and change the world. We oftentimes do the exact opposite of this. We give, 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 give to other people. We give, give, give to our work, to our kids, to our spouses, to other people. And we put nothing into nurturing our own souls. 
And so we have no courage to change ourselves. Now, why is it that we do this? I don't know, as I've looked at the landscape, and I honestly, I've appreciated the slowdown through COVID, but I think the reason that we don't feed ourselves, that we don't self-lead and change ourselves is because oftentimes in our life, we live in a crisis mode. And a crisis mode is when you live every waking moment going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, thinking that all the things are of equal value. It's kind of like spinning plates. We spin this plate and that plate and this plate over here, one after the other, trying to keep them going, thinking that every plate is of equal value. But they're not. Some plates are made out of paper. And other plates are made out of fine china. And what oftentimes happens as we are spinning plates, thinking and valuing that they are all the same, we start building up emotional garbage within us. And it starts to expand like a balloon that is about ready to pop. And sure enough, it does because we bump into something and we go ballistic right in front of a plate that's made out of fine china, our kids. And it impacts them in a way that we wish it hadn't. Why do we do this? Because we live in crisis mode. But if I had the courage to change myself first, by nurturing my own heart and my own soul, there would be fewer of those types of events. I put in your outline a list of questions that I oftentimes ask myself. Maybe you'd want to use this. Do I like the person or parent or partner I'm becoming? Is my heart for God growing or shrinking? Is my pace of life sustainable? Am I giving my family only my emotional garbage? And so I ask again, what areas of your life do you need to change first? And what is holding you back? The pain of discipline or the pain of regret? When the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain to change, guess what? You and I will change. The third thing that I see in this text is this. It says, a cloud of witnesses. In other words, what it's saying here for us is that parenting is something that shouldn't be done alone. Will you write this down? What we need to do is establish replenishing relationships. Galatians 6, 2 says this, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What I want to say is this, to be a good parent, you can't do it by yourself. We are better together. As a person, as partners, 
as parents. For myself, I'm involved in a number of groups. Our community group, we call it Bob's group. Uh, We've been together 18 years, and they replenish me. For 12 years, I've been with a group of CEOs, and now we're going through the book of Romans. They replenish me. I'm involved in a neighborhood group. We've been together 10 years. They replenish me. You either have VD people in your life, and let me explain what VD is. I'm talking about very draining people in your life. Or you have VI people, very inspiring people in your life. And what I want to say to you is this. Find some very inspiring people in your life and hang out with them. You can text us at 94,000 life point groups and you can get involved in a virtual one. In fact, all of mine that I'm doing right now are virtual because I don't want to miss a beat. The fourth and last thing is this. Keep the eternal perspective. Will you write that down? Keep the eternal perspective. The writer of Hebrews says this, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. In other words, keep your eyes on the eternal. Don't parent just for the day. I find that a lot of parents are just parenting just from day to day. A lot of parents maybe even parent for a week until they get to the weekend. What I'm saying here is parent for eternity. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For the light momentary afflictions that we bear in COVID-19 are producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. Keep eternity in perspective. See your own person in light of eternity. See your partner in light of eternity. See your parenting in light of eternity. My father-in-law, a number of years ago, passed away. And about a year before he passed, he had some heart thing come up that he had to go into the hospital. And when I was sitting with him in a private moment, he looked at me and he said, George, I'm done. I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm passing the baton to you. And of course, my reaction at that moment is, hey, Wayne, you got a lot more years ahead of you. We're going to keep kicking that can down the road together. And he said, no, I'm passing the baton to you. And you know, he was right. A little over a year from that time, he passed away. But during that year... My father-in-law and I had a great time. I'd come over and visit him in his nursing home uh, one, two, maybe three times a week. And one time a week, we would always go out to Sonic because he loved their onion rings. And we would get a Sonic burger without telling Cheryl. 
and we would eat it, and we would eat onion rings. And he would tell me stories about him growing up on the farm. And he told me stories about college. And he told me, told me stories about war, uh, World War II. He was D-Day plus five. He told me stories about his work and his marriage with Margaret. And as he approached eternity future, he had a lucid moment. A new attendant had walked in and asked him, Wayne, who's sitting with you? And he said, this is my son. He always called me son. And he says, this is my son. And he pointed at a a poster on his wall of me in in a cornfield with our building campaign called Field of Dreams to build this campus that no one is sitting in right now. And he says, I'm so proud of him. And he began to recount what I call life point story. And at the end of it, he said, but what I'm most proud of is that he is a great father to my grandkids. And when I heard that, I thought, I felt proud, but I thought, you know what? I'm not as good as I should be. I've got all kinds of flops, failures, and fumbles in my life. And I share that story because a lot of you moms and dads out there feel the same way. You got flops, failures, and fumbles in your life. You've messed up. You're not as good as you want to be. And yet I want to tell you now, God is proud of you. And you are doing a great job as a transitional person or partner or parent. It's not about perfection. It is about the pursuit and keeping eternity in mind. And in those last few weeks with Wayne, I asked him, Wayne, Do you have any regrets? And he said, no, I don't. I know that I'm forgiven because of Jesus Christ. And I can't wait to be in heaven with Margaret. Moms, you're doing a great job. Dads, you're doing a great job. Don't beat yourself up. If you're a single woman, you're doing a great job. Don't beat yourself up. If you're a single guy, don't beat yourself up. You're doing a great job. Keep your eyes on the prize. Now before I pray, I just want us, as we do, to take and pass, take our offering by passing the plate virtually. And if you'll just text 73256, Life Point Church, and just enter in your information and your amount, that'll do the trick. And if you need anything else from us, you can catch it on the next slide. At, 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 by texting those, the right words at 94,000.
Well, this is Mother's Day, and I want to wish you moms and you, and you moms who are mothering other kids a happy Mother's Day. Come by at 1 to 3, visit with Cheryl and I from a distance, love to give you a rose. We just want to see one another as we are moving towards a new reopening here in the next few weeks. So let's bow and pray right now. Lord, I just thank you that you are the prize and that you have called us to keep our eyes on you and that as we do, you work. You work in our life, in our person. You work in in and through our priorities with our partner if we're married in our parenting if we have kids or in our relationship with others God and I thank you that it's not about perfection but it's about the pursuit it is about making progress so that you are honored and glorified one day in eternity future I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Christ. But I want you to know this. He came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your mistakes so that you can have his perfection and live in relationship with him. And if you will just say, God, I want you as my Savior. And I want to be the best that I can be knowing that it's not about perfection, but about progress. And you've just dropped him from your head into your heart because he rose from the grave to give you the power to do that. And if you will just let me know, 94,000, new start, I'll get that information and I'll get you some literature. God, we thank you for this day. We give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.